When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is an NFL insider for ESPN and co-host of the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. He also just so happens to be one of the most well-informed, well-spoken, and kindest people in football media field. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Well, after that introduction, I do feel a responsibility, Taylor, to uh, live up to expectations. You're extremely kind to say that, and I'm honored to be on the show. I'm looking forward to talking football and probably a lot of Patriots football specifically with you. Yes, sir. But first of all, we just got out of all the the hecticness of the draft. You know, there's all this prep. And then when you're actually going through it, this was my first time actually having to cover it live. And it took me days to recover. So how do you feel finally being on the other end of things? Yeah, it's funny that we've done a couple of shows since the draft was over and we've done grade shows. We've done a 2024 look ahead. We've done just sort of general analysis. And there have been a couple of times recently where I've thought about a prospect, not a day one player, but a player that was expected to go in the middle rounds of the draft. And I've said, like, wait, wait, where did he end up again? Like, what round was he taken in? It's like, oh, okay, Julius Prince went in the third round of the Colts. Okay, got it. All right, yeah, okay. Had to remind myself where some of these players landed because you spend so much time in the months leading up to it not envisioning them as a fit for a particular team because there are so many different ways the draft can play out, but rather just sort of evaluating them as prospects independent of where they're going to land. And I'd say by the uh, time training camp rolls around, I probably won't have too many of those slip ups, but um, we'll see. It always makes it kind of a fun time of the year to uh, go from prepping for the draft to prepping for the season. Right. It's kind of a speed around, you know, it's just, you know, you need the time to get acquainted with all these new faces and new places. Speaking of which, so you have great insight on the league in general. Now I'm more of a Pat centric guy. I try to keep my ear to the ground where I can, but from your perspective relative to, you know, the league landscape and obviously these way too early draft grades, you know, they change. That's why they're way too early. But how did you feel the Patriots did in their draft strategy relative to maybe the rest of the league and, you know, their ability to get more athletic, you know, address their needs, things like that. Yeah, first of all, I want people that have an issue with draft grades grades, to be reminded that they're for entertainment purposes, right? Mm -hmm. The people that hand out those grades aren't necessarily held accountable. It's not like if you were low on a draft a few years ago and then it being great, you are unable to give out grades in future drafts. Vice versa, if you really liked a draft and the players all ended up being duds, again, it doesn't mean that you can't go forward with draft grades. It's uh, entertainment form, and frankly – Right after the draft, there's not a lot of other movement around the NFL. So it's good to have something that we spend months leading up to uh, to react to after the fact. So I'm okay with draft grades in general. I think when you're assessing a team's draft, you have to decide what lens you're going to choose it from. And if you are an NFL team, in a perfect world, the draft is serving not just now, but also the future. And in a perfect world, beyond the perfect world I just laid out, you're always drafting for value. You're not drafting for need. You always want to be drafting a player commensurate where where that player is being taken. I think if you look at the Patriots' first three rounds, and then we can go forward with the last four rounds, I think a lot of people feel like those three players were 
actually kind of a nice sweet spot of really good value and really good players too, because at needs, I should say. Uh, Christian Gonzalez obviously will make a major mark on this defense from day one. He was a top 10-ish prospect. Everybody's eyes are a bit different, but I felt with the Patriots in the first three rounds got really, really strong value uh, for those three players, not just Christian Gonzalez, but also Keon White and Marte Mapu. I think when you look at the Patriots' needs coming into the draft for 2023, the most pressing needs probably felt, to me at least, as cornerback, perimeter cornerback specifically, someone that had some size even more specifically than that, some developmental upside at the tackle spot, either side of the line. And then I would have argued that one more playmaker might have been a 2023 need. That being said, if you look past 2023, you are staring at the barrel of needs that don't seem quite as pertinent that could become pertinent in 2024, right? And maybe interior offensive line is a bigger need then than it is right now. Maybe pass rusher is a bigger need then than it is right now, right? Matthew Judon is two years away from becoming a free agent. So a year from now, we'll be in a contract year. And then Josh Uche is going to be a free agent after this season. And if you think that Keon White is a reasonable facsimile of some of what those two guys do, well, then you are kind of planning ahead while also helping your pass rush for 2023. So I don't think the Patriots draft in any way, shape, or form was like a miscalculation of what they may have needed in the future or the right now, because really that that to get a perimeter corner at 17 in a draft where I think there were two that kind of separated themselves from the rest, Christian Gonzalez and Devin Witherspoon, that to me might have been the best pick in the first round when you marry value, uh, need, and where, where he ended up going. So I think the Patriots draft was kind of solid. As a matter of fact, I'm going to kind of borrow this train of thought from my colleague Mel Kuyper Jr., who was the draft grader at ESPN, who I think he had no team lower than a B-minus this year. Because it didn't feel like there was that many things that were so out of left field in the draft that it was caused to give out a grade that was below that B-minus marker. And I feel like the Lions were the only team that you'd think maybe, you know, they'd get below that threshold because of the early value that they got in the first round. But when you look at their team, they got those kind of tough players, like a linebacker or a running back. They got players that fit that kind of style. So I would agree. Looking back at the draft, I was like, I think teams made out pretty well. It's just, you know, coaching situations, how things play out, yada, yada. Yeah. And, you and I think with the Lions, the last thing I'll say, and I don't, I don't mean to jump in, but with the Lions, the... I'd say probably the strongest argument for it is that we just spent, we mean in the collective football community, spent the past year praising the Lions for being so decidedly Lions about them, mm -hmm. right? Everything yeah. about them feels like it is basically like Dan Campbell's DNA, right? Yeah. If you go look at the players that they drafted in the first three rounds specifically, let's focus on the first two rounds, actually. Mm -hmm. Four players that feel to me like Lions, right? Feel to yeah. me like players that are going to fit in culturally with the Lions right away. Now, do they go a few spots higher than maybe they should have? I don't know. We'll find out. I, you know, I, I'm from the New England area. I'm old enough to remember when Logan Mankins was the worst pick of the, whatever that was, 2002 NFL draft or 2005 NFL draft, excuse me. And he went on to become, you know, one of the Patriots best players ever. So mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes while I, I, 100% support and agree with draft grades. I also think that there is an admission when you are giving out draft grades right after the fact that, you know, on the, uh, like you, you'll sometimes you'll see like a, like a sweepstakes on TV or something. It'd be like, Hey, subject to change on the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. Draft grades are subject to change. And maybe Absolutely. the lion's draft grade looks a lot different a year from now because two of those four players are not just contributors right away, but playing at a very high level. Moreover, 
that the other two are starting and you've got four starters in the first 50 or so picks like that to me is pretty good value and return from one draft. Absolutely. And then so flip it back to the Patriots real quick. So we talked about value versus uh, team need necessarily. And going into the draft, like you mentioned, maybe pass catcher, whether it was a receiver or running back a tight end, seemed like a really pressing need. And obviously the Patriots didn't address it till the tail end of the draft. Now, from your perspective, you know, there's a bit of speculation over whether people are asking too much of Bill O'Brien with the weapons that he currently has in the younger talent where the explosiveness is you know, they're not quite proven yet. So from your perspective, do you think the Patriots have the receiving talent and even the tackle talent around Mac Jones and for Bill O'Brien to bring out the best in both of those guys and turn this into a team where the offense was a true liability last season to getting more on track where they're not losing you games, they're holding up their end of the bargain and maybe even exceeding expectation? Yeah, so first of all, I don't want to make it as simple as like, it's just going to be this way. But if I were to ask you, who obviously follows this team, as an amazing job covering them on a day-to-day basis, how dissimilar or what is the gap between the 2021 skill group and the 2023 skill group on paper? If you think about Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, Kendrick Bourne in 2021, I think those were the, let's call those the the, the top five-ish pass catchers mm-hmm. relative to... Mike Kosicki, Juju Smith-Schuster, Hunter Henry, Tyquan Thornton, Ramondre Stevenson, Kendrick Bourne. Uh, Take Ramondre out because I didn't include a running back the first time. I would argue, and I could be way wrong here, that that group is on paper fairly comparable. I, I don't know that it's necessarily a whole lot better or a whole lot worse. That Patriots team in 2021 averaged 26.6 points per game, seventh best in the NFL, won 10 games. What was different then compared to not just last year, but the question that people are trying to get answered this year, it was the offensive line. That was a strength for the Patriots in 2021. Trent Brown played really well on the left side. You had guys really across the board that were playing excellent football. Ted Karras, that was his final year in New England, but he earned himself a three-year $18 million deal as a result of that, right? I mean, you had a guy, Michael Wenu, who is maybe the Patriots' best offensive player right now, one of the best guards in the NFL, who was a sixth offensive lineman that season because of the way that the interior offensive line was holding up. So I think the offensive line, here's, I, I believe, fundamentally in football that a good offensive line can offset a an average skill group more so than a good skill group can offset a an average offensive line, right? The, the Dolphins are maybe the exception because they were so good offensively last year, but Look at what happened when they started to really meet face the meat of their schedule, when they played the San Francisco's of the world. All of a sudden, that defense, that offense started to look a lot more pedestrian because yep. as great as it is to have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell, the only way to stress a defense vertically is to give your quarterback enough time. So mm-hmm. I know the Patriots skill group is going to be a talking point for the next, what, four months until the games begin. I would counter with the idea that while it's important to focus on the skill group and they need Juju to be an effective player, and I believe Mike Kosicki and almost in practicality can be viewed as a big receiver, not necessarily a tight end, they need the offensive line to be a whole lot better. And the pieces are in place there for it to be good. They got depth, a lot of depth now all of a sudden. And you have, I think, you can feel pretty darn comfortable uh, with at least three of the starters, right? You know that mm-hmm. the, the two guard spots are most likely going to be Michael Wenu and also Cole Strange. And you know David Andrews is going to be your center. So there's they have all of a sudden four, five, six options maybe at tackle. If you square away that offensive line, I think the operation looks a whole lot better. I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to lead the NFL in points, but I think the offense can be good enough if the offensive line holds up its end of the bargain. 
I'd actually love to get a little deeper into the offensive line. Cause I think, you know, from the outside perspective, there's a lot of names, especially the free agent signings, a lot of veterans that, you know, for one reason or another, don't inspire a ton of confidence. If you're thinking they're going to start 17 games plus for you, but they did get a lot of intriguing young players in the draft as well. So what do you think of the guys that they did get in free agency? Riley Reed, Calvin Anderson, obviously they re-signed Connor McDermott and Yanni yeah. Juice to a tender. And then the three guys they got in the uh, fourth and fifth rounds as well. So I like to follow the money in some cases when it comes to team building, because it does help you give an idea of maybe where the team views this player. And I think that the, the deal that I thought stood out to me the most in terms of the financial commitment that suggested starter was Riley Reef, right? Because it's a one-year deal. I think it was like five million guaranteed, like that, yeah. which I don't think on a one-year contract you're paying a guy five million bucks if the vision is for him to just be a backup. Right. Which a backup can be extremely valuable when you have injuries and just the tolls of the season, right? I mean, a guy just has a bounce off week, and next thing you know, the Patriots have been unafraid to pull guys from a game in the middle of the game. And eventually bring them back out there. But we have seen a carousel of offensive linemen in the past during some of their best seasons, right? Dante Scarnecchia, the legend, has been unafraid to do that. Um, And if he's willing to do it, then I think every offensive line coach should at least be mindful and considerate of it. So I think Riley Reef has a real chance to start for this team. He would be a right tackle. That's where he has played most recently and been a starter most recently. He finished off last year on a high note for the Bears, got better as the season went on. An incredible dude as well. Then you look at the rest of the contracts. Trent Brown should be the front runner to be the left tackle. With Trent, though, I think the story of his career is going to be defined by, at his best, hard to do much with him. I mean, a pass rusher is basically just hoping that, you know, he either gets tired or has a bad day because yeah. between his length, strength, and nastiness, he's got a chance to be a dominant player when he's at his apex. But when he's not, then all of a sudden the wheels can fall off quickly. Uh, He's in the final year of his contract. And if you look at where he is age-wise, I would think he'd be extremely motivated to pursue that one last bite at the apple as far as contracts go. So Trent Brown probably is the front runner, but the commitment to Calvin Anderson was enough that it shouldn't be a stunner if he's playing meaningful snaps, right? They didn't sign him just to sit around and, you know, collect dust on the sidelines. So that's how I would view it. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. Because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, you got to get the app. The app's the way to go. It is so easy to use. You get great promotions every day with the app. It's safe and secure. And you get paid instantly. How about that? Instant cash with the FanDuel app. There's no better place to bet all your playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issue is non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash Sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT-STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 
1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Gambling Helpline MA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467369 in New York. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Now let's get back to the show. As far as the interior players go in the draft, City Sow and Jake Andrews and Antonio Mafi, like that's three guys who I think, think, all have a chance to be on the 53-man roster this season. You would certainly hope two fourth-round picks are, are on the game day roster a decent amount. But mm-hmm. all of them, I think, are players that will – be dressed and active this year while also obviously figuring in to the future of this roster in a meaningful way as well. And if there's been one lesson that we've been reminded of over the past couple of years, not just in New England, but around the NFL, is that padding that depth at offensive line is never a bad strategy because, first of all, players can be up and down in terms of performance. Second of all, it's hard to hold up for the rigors of a 17, maybe even a 21-game season for those that make it all the way to the Super Bowl. Absolutely. And we saw even last year, you know, you had 33-year-old James Ferenc in there as a backup when David Andrews went down and you saw a significant decline in quality. You know, Ferenc, he's a backup. You know, he can only do as much as he can physically do, but it really emphasized how much integrity on that interior offensive line really mattered for a pocket passer like Matt Jones. That's a good point, you know, because I think, and this is not to make, you know, James Ferentz like the the scapegoat of of 2022, right? right? But I don't know how many players on the Patriots roster right now who have a hypothetical or like a real path to a role, you would feel like, you know, in baseball, they use wins above replacement as one of the key stats that people now measure player value on. Right. And every once in a while, there's a team that's playing like a shortstop. That's got like a negative four wins above replacement. You're like, that player is not above the arbitrary threshold that we just decided upon here. Right. And I think the Patriots now have the depth where there's enough investment organizationally that if, something happens to Mike and Wenu or Cole strange or David Andrews, like the idea of city Sal coming in and playing a guy who's a fourth round pick started 56 games in college or Jake Andrews, a guy who started a ton of games in college. Like to me, the depth feels way stronger for the Patriots this year than it was last year. And that's across the board, not just on offense and defense. I know it's the least sexy thing. And it seems like Patriots fans sometimes gets frustrated by the fact that the team cares about special teams, but look at what happened to them last year. The special teams became I mean, it was not uh, covered as much as the offense because the offense operated the way that it did, but the special teams let them down in a major way last year. And people can debate the merits of using draft picks on a kicker and a punter, but if the Patriots hit on both of those players, and this goes to every team that drafts a kicker or a punter, if you hit on a draft pick at a specialist spot, assuming it's not like in the second round Roberto Aguayo style, it's automatically a bargain. Like it really is if – if Ryland's on a, I don't know what the number is, but four year, something like, you know, 
five million dollar deal. That's one point two five million dollars per year. Like top tier kickers are going for five, six, seven million dollars now. If he's good, good enough to be a four year starter, it's going to be a great discount. And the last time the Patriots used a fourth round pick on a kicker, Stephen Goskowski really paid off for them for a decade. So the Patriots across the board, including on their special teams units, should be deeper and better. Absolutely. And that's something that helps everybody because like you said, it's not a sexy talking point necessarily. And obviously special teams, I'm not even someone who fully understands special teams as much as I love to watch the game study. Exactly. But I mean, they signed Chris Ford, Cody Davis comes back, Matt Slater comes back. You know, they add not only to the kicking uh, spots, but also to the coverage which yeah. I think is going to, that affects field position. That affects and so getting many yardage. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think about last year too, like just think about, so we can isolate it, kicking and punting. Nick Fulton, mm-hmm. absolute, like total stud. Like the way yeah. he rejuvenated his career in New England deserves a ton of praise, right? Incredibly well, incredibly well respected as well. I think it was the Detroit game where they bypassed like a 46 yard field goal. Yeah. And I know that Gillette has the open ends of the stadium that uh, with wind makes it tough for anybody. But at some point, you got to be above a certain level with your kicking unit. Yeah. Like 50 yards and in should be a try every time, unless it's like a driving rainstorm and it's, you know, Buffalo style in 2021 Monday night football conditions, mm-hmm. right? Patriots have added length to their field goal unit. Remember, kickoffs were an issue for the Patriots last year once Jake Bailey got hurt. And obviously, Jake underperformed as well. And that tied into Michael Pilardi. Both of those guys, I mean, we're talking about like 38, 39-yard net average punts. Like, you can't afford that. Yeah. I mean, you need Beringer to be a 40, 45, you know, 45, 44, 45, 46-yard net punting average over the course of a game, over the course of a season. That adds up so dramatically. And if your offense isn't, you know, the Chiefs or or the Bills or somebody like that, I think those hitting yards really pile up because the Patriots are going to play solid defense. They're going to find a way to make things really difficult on whoever it is that they face in a given week. They got to be more complimentary than they were last year. And remarkably, for all the things that went wrong last year and all the stuff that everybody is talking about, about how like it felt like rock bottom. You and I are both from the area. That was rock bottom. Yeah. Going eight nine. That's pretty amazing that like a team could go eight and nine and be playing for the playoffs in week 18 during a rock bottom season. I know that um, I'm not trying to make excuses or for, for people that are in charge or players on the roster, but part of what's happened in recent years is the context, right? It's the mm-hmm. fact that Patriots were so good for so long, they taper off a little bit and all of a sudden it feels like the sky fell. Meanwhile, the rest of the conference has gotten really good. Yeah. This Patriots roster, if you put it in the NFC, in the NFC, I think people are talking about them as a playoff lock or at least Absolutely. a playoff, a content, like a, a strong contender, right? It's just but a rock the league, in the AFC. <laughs> yeah, it's it. It's a, it's a chemically imbalanced league right now. It's the, yeah. what the NBA West was for all those years, mm-hmm. what the AFC is. And it used to be that the path of less least resistance was the Eastern Conference. Now the path of least resistance is the NFC. I mean, I'm not saying it's the only reason, but – you don't think that Derek Carr thought about that when he was deciding where he wanted to sign? He had the Jets plus the Saints plus the Panthers on his roster, mm-hmm. on his radar. I'm sure he was mindful of the idea that if he goes to the Jets, he plays in a division that has three other very capable teams and maybe a Super Bowl favorite in the Bills. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then in the Bills, we're talking about how close they were to actually being competitive. They were in playoff contention in the last week of the season, and they'll have two return touchdowns. So, you know, hitting yeah, yardage, hitting points, you know what I'm yep. saying? It's not the defense, totally. it's the special teams units. So 
we've talked about kind of just briefly going back to offense, just because I feel like we need to address Mac Jones directly because we okay. mentioned, okay, you know, he has competent receivers. Like he's got veterans who have resumes where you're saying, okay, I have an idea of how they're going to produce in my scheme. The offensive line, the only spot you're kind of worried about is right tackle, but they got bodies. Riley Reef, as you said, is competent, got better for the Bears as the season went on last year. So what does Mac Jones have to do? to you know play better than he did last year obviously tough circumstances but you know at the end of the day you have to perform as well so where does he need to step up this season and also where can bill o'brien kind of make his life easier and bring out the best in mac but i think you can probably measure somebody's sort of interest or belief in mac jones if they allow to dismiss the 2022 season then you have somebody that believes in mac jones if they Mm -hmm. don't allow to dismiss the 2022 season then you have somebody that is not believing in Mac Jones. I believe Mac Jones has has a chance to be very, very good quarterback in the NFL. There are a few aliens in the league, right? Uh, Patrick Mahomes. I don't want to make everything always about, you know, the best player on the best team, but Patrick Mahomes could be dropped anywhere. And I would think that team automatically becomes a playoff contender, right? So there are a lot of other quarterbacks where context is the most important thing. A year ago, if you and I were having a conversation about Daniel Jones and we were in a group of 20 people, 15 of them would be laughing at the idea of Daniel Jones even being a starter for the Giants this past year, right? Like, oh, good idea, like running it back for more. How long until Tyrod Taylor takes over as a starting quarterback, right? Uh, There are other quarterbacks where it either goes the same way or the other way, right? I mean, like Matthew Stafford a year ago was in the conversation for the best quarterback in the NFL coming off of the Rams Super Bowl championship, right? Now people are saying, you know, should he just retire anyway? Is the team going to be terrible? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So quarterback context is so important in my opinion. And so if you're the Patriots, I'm not saying Mac doesn't have to do his his thing. He has mm-hmm. to do his thing. He has to hold up his end of the bargain. But Absolutely. Patriots have made dramatic strides in getting him back on track. And if you're Mac, here are some areas that I think you have to identify if you are Mac Jones going into this season, right? First of all, like I need complete and utter pre-snap command Patriots offense needs to be far more efficient this year in and out of the huddle. Now, Mm -hmm. maybe that's not on Mac Jones. Maybe I I tend to believe that some of that is not on Mac Jones from this past year. Right. Mm -hmm. But I know Bill O'Brien is going to run a tight ship. Mac Jones, I know can keep up with that tight ship. I need to see that this year. I don't want to be in and out of the huddle fast. I want to be at the line of scrimmage. I want to be barking commands to guys. Mm -hmm. I want to see more pre-snap disruption for these. I want to make, I want you want you want to hear a guy barking out cadence before the snap, drawing people off sides, organized chaos at line of scrimmage, which you can see from some of the very best. That'll develop more and more over time, but that to me is always a sign of a quarterback that is in command. Mm-hmm. Move on from there. Once the ball is snapped, Mac Jones, where he was so good for the first like 12, 13 weeks of his rookie season, was he didn't see he didn't have too many major mistakes, right? Did a really good job of reading coverage, taking what he could get him. Think about that uh, Tampa game, which Tom Brady, the greatest player of all time, returns to New England. And one of the narratives after the game was Mac Jones. I think it was like 17 straight completions, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah whatever gone. the number was it, was, it was a lot, right? And it's like, take what the defense gives you. You may recall going further back than that, the uh, tra- the training camp practice against the Giants, where it was like Mac Jones, this was with Cam, I think had the, uh, the medical thing where he was out for like five days. Yeah, and then Mac stepped up. And it's like, okay, so... He has the accuracy to, if it's open, hit it. Okay, hit it this year again, right? Mm -hmm. If you make a mistake, and every quarterback does, don't repeat it twice. That's something that I think needs to change 
this year that didn't change enough last year. Too many repeated mistakes from Mac. And those two things, the pre-snap command and then, you know, see ball, or sorry, see window, hit window, or anticipate window and hit that window. Mm -hmm. That to me, I think is a good starting point for Mac Jones, but he's super capable. And, you know, I I know that we read a ton into body language and and press conference body language. It's hard. You got to kind of distance yourself from that in some cases. And, you know, that that Patriots locker room loves Mac Jones. And I think they have a lot of reason to believe in Mac Jones. Now he has a chance to prove to everybody that he can be a guy in this league because I know that uh, oftentimes the best quarterbacks give you the chance to win, give you the best chance to win. But there are teams that can be really successful by having a very good quarterback, very good defense, being well coached. Right Mm -hmm. now, at this juncture of his career, right now, that's the model for the Patriots. Like He doesn't need to be a top three quarterback for them to win big next year. But if he's a top 12 quarterback, this team's going to be in business. Right. And I like that you mentioned the pre-snap operation as well, because a lot of what I think held them back last season, obviously Mac has to execute. But when you talk about how many times they shot themselves in the foot, like coming out of the huddles and you're getting delayed games, uh, all these pre-snap penalties where you're in good position, you know, second and five become second and 10. And then everyone knows that cross dagger or levels is coming, you know, and then it just gets the offense behind schedule and you have promising drives where you put things together then you get behind the eight ball and things just get a lot more screwy. And that makes it hard when you have an offense that likes to be timing based execution, efficiency, and you're making your own mistakes that aren't even inflicted by the other side. I always say, and this is boiling it down into a way too simple form, but I always say that good offense is dictating. Good defense is reacting. Mm -hmm. Last year, the Patriots were reacting too much on offense. And you go and look at the quarterbacks that have mastery of the huddle pre-snap that are getting in and out of the huddle with plenty of time left on the playcock to go to the line, read the defense, and try to screw up a bit before the snap. It may not be a 1,000% batting average, but I bet you way more often than not, that's a good offense. And I think Mac Jones has the intellect and has the command to do that. I think that's one of the challenges for this year. And I'm not trying to say that um, nothing was taken for granted, in my opinion, about Tom Brady. But you go back and look at some of those outstanding year some of it was just complete mastery it was like he was designing the offense and calling the plays on the fly he wasn't right but in some ways it felt like he was and he probably could in some cases that's how much he knew that offense that's how brilliant of a mind and how brilliant of a structure they had developed over those years together i think that's a goal for mac because i want him if you're watching mac jones you're a patriots fan you're saying Mac is an extension of Bill O'Brien, right? The person that we are entrusting to build this offense. You want to see it from these young quarterbacks. I want to see that command from Mac Jones to believe that he's got a chance to be a really, really good player for a long time. Absolutely. So I just want to hear quick takes on the sixth round selection the Patriots took at wide receiver. I may be a little too excited about him because, you know, obviously their sixth round picks, the track record isn't great. But you got a guy in Kayshawn Booty who was thought to be a first round kind of guy before last season. Obviously, you know, you have laundry list of concerns. You know, I'm not going to address them here. They're pretty easy to find. And then you got a guy like Demario Douglas, who's undersized, of course, but is in that mold of a lot of guys in this receiver class where they're undersized, but they're super twitchy, super fast, and play bigger than they are. And obviously, with the Patriots, you know, the more you can do is a big mantra for them. And they have a history with those undersized guys. So, what do you think the possibility is that those two players can contribute in their first seasons? And what do you think maybe the potential impact is if they do manage to sneak onto the roster? Yeah, I was going to say, like, first of all, we got to cross the make the roster threshold, right? Absolutely. Because if, if assuming health, and there's obviously it's very difficult to assume health, but mm-hmm. as of right now, you would think 
the following receivers are locks, right? Taekwon Thornton, Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker, and obviously Juju Smith-Schuster, right? Like, I know those two guys in the middle, the two veterans are on the final year of their contract and no guaranteed money. So I'm not, I have no information here, but obviously uh, the investment financially is also different for them than it is for somebody like Juju, right? But those four, I assume, are locks. That probably gives you one, maybe two spots maximum amongst your other wide receivers. So what do you get out of Booty? What do you get out of Demario Douglas? Uh, what do you get out of other guys that have been in the pipeline a little bit longer, haven't ever been 53-man regulars? That's the question that I don't have the answer to right now. As far as Douglas goes, I kind of looked at him as like discount version of Tank Dell from Houston. Mm-hmm. Two yeah. guys who just dominated from the slot, uh, route running masters. They went three rounds apart, which I think is reflective in like the overall skill set. Mm-hmm. I think for Booty, I think that the question is just whether he's been, so he's got the opportunity now, right? Everything, pretty much everything that could go wrong this past year for him from the season of the pre-draft process did go wrong. And so he has a very simple question to ask to answer right now. He's now got an opportunity. There's no more speculating about what, where he'll go, who will draft him, how far he'll fall, how high he'll go. The cards have now been played. He has to make a choice. If he taps into what he has, good route runner, good after the catch as well, physical enough, like he's got a chance, but not a fast guy, ran, ran poorly during the pre-draft process. So he's not going to win with speed, right? And if he doesn't keep his head on straight, this is the NFL. The margin for error is so thin. And as a six round pick, you're guaranteed nothing in this league. So I'm not saying that I'm tempering expectations for them any more than I would a six round pick elsewhere, right? I'm just sort of playing the numbers game, right? If a six round pick makes the roster, That is like a good step one. But I would say Douglas maybe intrigues me even more, which is kind of contrary to where most people have been just because he has so much of that short area suddenness and such a crafty route runner from the slot. And while Kendrick Bourne can do some of that and Juju can do a little bit of that, not not nearly as much as these two, a little bit though. Um, Like that to me is somewhere, if, if I'm him, I'm saying, I can envision the role right now on this roster. Yeah, all right. I needed that objectivity a little bit because those are the two first guys I broke down. Like, Booty, I saw. Get excited. That's that's allowed. You should do that. I mean, I feel like, you know, when you think about the Edelman role, you know, put him at Z outside motion, almost impossible to cover on those short routes and just, you know, yak opportunities. And then I saw Demario Douglas is more okay. Amendola's route tree, they're very similar, but he gives you that vertical element. So excited about those guys. But of course, expectations need to be, you know. Down at earth level. <laughs> um, yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, you're allowed to, it's May, June, July are for excitement across all the right. league, right? Everybody's 32. Everybody is 0 and 0. All 32 teams are 0 and 0. And um, you're going to read a lot of stuff over the next few months. It's going to sound hyperbolic and it might prove to be hyperbolic, but every team right now has reason to believe. And I don't think that that makes uh, the coverage inferior to me i think it's important to try to examine why a team invested in a player because Mm -hmm. even if the numbers show us that many fourth fifth sixth and seventh round picks don't pan out and play four years of their rookie contract the teams are not just like lighting picks on fire intentionally so i think it's worth doing a deep dive and figuring out what did new england see in those two receivers that compelled them to use a six-round investment on them now I'm going to close this out with okay. a defensive guy who kind of fits in that mold of, you know, value. We mentioned him at the top, Marte Mapu. Yeah. I, Fun one. I was visibly jazzed when they got him, but I feel like that wasn't necessarily the sentiment throughout Patriots Nation because, of course, 
smaller school prospect. There's not a lot of tape on him, so I understand. But I kind of caught wind once the Patriots got him in for a top 30 visit and was like, this guy is Kyle Duggar as an actual linebacker, modern linebacker type. So what do you think of his skill set, what he could bring? Because I see him as a potential blue chip who at that second level of the defense linebacker, maybe slot corner and some of those big nickel packages could do a lot of damage for them. One of the most impressive athletes of the week at the Senior Bowl by far. Mm -hmm. The guy looked like he totally belonged. It was This was a player who just slid through the cracks throughout much of the pre-draft process. He was a late ad to the Senior Bowl, mm. was not invited to the Combine, and that's probably because Sacramento State. But Dalton Kincaid didn't even play high school football until like his junior or senior year. Started off at University of San Diego. Like There's a million stories like that now in football because – Kids are either prioritizing other sports, which is totally fine as well, or believe it or not, like not every school is like, you know, modern day or like one of these Long Beach polys where like, you know, these like you watch these guys on Friday nights on ESPN too, right? Like not every program is like that. So um, I think that Marte Mapu was a classic slide through the cracks type of player, but incredible athlete and obviously plays like he is about 50 pounds and two inches taller than he actually is. And you know, Bill Belichick, that is like, that is of of like the signature traits on defense. One of them is definitely a guy who plays through contact, not Mm -hmm. around contact. And he, I mean, you you mentioned Kyle Duggar, right? I was actually just thinking about this recently because I saw Iki Aquanu come up on my timeline, the Panthers first round pick last year in the sixth round. I know. I was like, remember when Kyle Duggar baptized him in his first preseason game last year? Marte Mapu is going to do that to somebody this year. So I don't know exactly where he fits. That might be the challenge for the Patriots. Is he a safety? Is he as a linebacker? If he's a linebacker, our team's going to say, all right, we're going to run at you. And if they are, can he continue to eat glass consistently? And if he does, he's going to be around for a long time. The Patriots' th- first three picks should could legitimately, legitimately contribute in a major way this year on defense. And I think the floor for Marte Mapu is being a total freak on special teams because that body type with that speed – is built to just demolish people on special teams. Man, whole, I, I, do a lot more, by the way. Do a lot more. But I'm just saying, like, if you're looking for the optimistic case, it's a whole lot more than that. If you're looking for the floor, like, mm-hmm. Patriots are going to see a player with hair on fire on special teams. Man, I could keep this going for a lot longer. But I know you're a busy guy, so uh-huh. I'm going to let you get out of here. But, Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Seriously, if there's anything at all that you would like to plug, please fire away. I want you guys to go make sure you're following Taylor and read all this content every single day. How about that? Oh, man, I'll take it. <laughs> the man himself. Field Yates, everyone. ESPN's best and brightest. In my humble opinion, man, thank you Good so, guy. so much again. Thank you, sir.